You know, it's amazing to me that people would uh, go through life and never realize they're going to answer for everything they've done. You never know when you've taken your last breath. You never know when you've eaten your last meal. You never know when you've had your last night's rest, when you've dressed yourself for the last time. None of us have a promise or assurance of seeing another day tomorrow. We're all going to be in the presence of the Lord one day. We will stand before Him as our Savior either if we're saved or judge if you've never been born again the Bible way. We are accountable to Him. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the book of Romans in the New Testament and the 14th chapter. Romans chapter 14. Can you spell accountability? Accountability, A-C-C-O-U-N-T-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y. Fourteen letters, long word. It's one thing to spell it. It's really another to practice it. It's another to acknowledge it. And by that I mean we go through life accountable. Accountable to a number of people. And we need to consider that as we live. And so we're going to be talking about that today and next week as well something called accountability. It's mentioned here in Romans chapter 14. We pick it up in verse number 11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. It is written. It's an Old Testament quote. I think it's from Isaiah. And Paul here reminds the folks at Rome in the epistle to the Romans that we are going to give an account to God, every one of us. And so we need to understand this principle called accountability or something called accountability. Let's pray before we begin. Dear Lord, we just pray for your help to listen carefully, knowing that everything we hear at this time in these next few moments, we're going to give an answer for, we're going to be accountable for now as at every sermon. Father, I just pray now that you would help us to listen carefully, to learn, and as a result, to be helped. We pray now and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The Jerusalem Post over in Jerusalem had an article some time back about their mayor, a very unique mayor by the name of Ted Kollek. Ted Kollek ran on a promise that if he's elected mayor, he had a revolving door kind of a procedure where anyone could get in to see him but not only see him, to call him any time, day or night. He is the only mayor that I know of who's the mayor of a big city, not just a national city, but an international city that has his phone number listed in the telephone book. (laughs) And so Ted Kollek gets phone calls day and night. In fact, he took one here a while back from an irate motorist who was riding his scooter through Jerusalem about midnight and hit a pothole and wiped out. 
And he got upset and he called the mayor and he said, now, I'm sorry for calling. He said, I wouldn't have called tomorrow, so I knew I'd call tonight while I was upset. And, and, and uh, Mr. Colick heard him out and uh, apologized and in his good nature said, we'll get it fixed. And the very next day, he had the city crew out there getting that pothole fixed. But he's, he's got something he practices called accountability. To him, the buck stops here. And he feels he is accountable to the people of Jerusalem. Now, what does it mean to be accountable? Well, I looked it up in my, my trusty Webster's Dictionary. You know what it means to be accountable? It means to answer to somebody or be answerable. Uh, it's reckoning. It's responsibility. It's explaining our actions. Okay, here's why I did that. It's to report to somebody like an employee reports to a, a boss or a politician reports to his district, or, or a child will report to her, uh, his or her mom or dad. It, it's being accountable like husbands and wives need to be to each other. And ultimately, accountability is to our God, our Creator, the one who has put us here and sustained us and given us breath in all things. Now, as we talk about something called accountability, I see what I call, first of all, the fundamental application. There are some laws, there are some principles dealing with accountability. Let's look at the fundamental application of it. Human nature tries to shirk accountability. Uh, let's just get that down right at the outset here. And, and it's, it's an age-old issue. It goes back to the first pair, Adam and Eve. They were placed in the garden. They were told not to eat of that certain tree. They ate of that tree. God came looking for them, asked them why you took and ate of the forbidden fruit. And in Genesis 3.12, the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent, <laughs> the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Can you see what's happening here? They're passing the buck. They're shirking responsibility. They're, they're failing to be accountable. And it's not just them. As soon as they have children, Cain kills Abel, and God comes looking for Cain and, and, and says, where's Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Again, I'm not responsible. I'm not accountable. I don't have to explain my actions. I don't have to report to anybody. I don't have to reckon with you. I don't have to answer to you. He had that attitude right off the, the get-go. In fact, as soon as sin enters into the picture, man is passing the buck, isn't he? And man is refusing to be responsible. He's being undependable. He says, I will not be liable. I will not take blame. You move from Exodus into, uh, or Genesis into Exodus, and you see another example of this. It's, it's, uh, it's sad, and it's funny at the same time. Moses goes up to the mountain. He's getting the law of God up there. While he's up there, we find out that the people down below get restless. They say, you know, we don't know about this God Moses is talking about. We need a God that we can see. And so they came to Aaron, and they said, we need you to make us a God, some golden calves that we can worship. And so Aaron complies. And the people start dancing around these idols. And, of course, God is, is ready to destroy them for that. He tells Moses, who's up on the mountain, what's going on. Moses goes down there, finds Aaron, and says, What in the world are you doing? In Exodus 32:22, And Aaron said, well, Thou knowest the people, <laughs> there it is again, that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it me, then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Yeah, right, that's how it really happened. I mean, you just threw this gold in this, this fire, and this 
calf popped out. Notice what he's doing. He's blaming the people. He's blaming the fire or the gold or whatever you want to call it. He is refusing to admit he made the golden calf. The Bible tells us he did. He even fashioned it with a graven instrument. But now he's lying and saying, it just happened. No accountability. He's not answering to his boss. He's not reckoning. He's not being responsible. He's not explaining his actions. He's not reporting to the higher up. He's just failing to be accountable. Now, here in Romans chapter 14, turn back a little bit. Notice verse number 7, if you would. The Bible gives us this principle. It's a fundamental application. It says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. No man liveth unto himself or dieth to himself. Now, what's that talking about? Well, it's talking about the fact that our lives overlap. We don't live on a desert island. No man is an island. That's how we put it. And so whether we like it or not, our lives affect the lives of other people. We are somehow affecting them. No man liveth unto himself or dieth unto himself, the Bible says. Hmm. Anyone can see what Adam and Eve did. Anyone can see what Aaron did. But what about us? Are we accountable Do we realize our lives are affecting others? Our lives are impacting others? Do we realize that we need to be accountable for our actions and accountable to other people as well? You know, there are folks sitting here today, and and some of you you sit in high places. You are a a, a people of power, if you might put it that way. You handle money. You know, uh, we have treasures in this church, obviously, who handle money. They're accountable for that. We have, we have an audit as a church because we want to be accountable. Um, we have uh, people in this, this room who are people of influence. Some of you, in fact, we have somebody in this room writes checks for some of the most powerful people in the area and, and writes their salary. Are you accountable? Are we accountable? Some of you counsel. And, and you deal with people where they live in their hearts and in their heads and you give them advice. Are you accountable to anyone for that? There was a psychologist of some type in the state, this state, North Dakota here, it, just a few years ago it happened. He was somebody who actually counseled and, and uh, dealt with those who were, um, we would call them sexual predators or, or molesters, sexual crimes, offenders, whatever they might be. And, and he was trying to help those people. And you might remember in the forum reading, as I did, that he himself got into child pornography and, and was prosecuted and admitted to the guilt of it and so on. Who would you turn to if you were struggling with something today? Do you have somebody that you can trust that you're accountable to? We have this hyper-independent mentality. It's like, I don't want to lean on anybody. I don't want to cry on anybody's shoulder. I don't want to be a burden. I'll just suck it in. I'll just go at it alone. But the fact is, we need help at times. We need each other at times. And, and, And right here in Romans, you're so close, turn to chapter 15, If this wasn't true, God wouldn't have put it in the Bible. Notice what it says in verses 1 and 2. It says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. Notice this this mutual need it speaks of here. Notice this mutual responsibility, this mutual accountability that we ought to bear each other's burdens. That's what it's talking about here. Now, there are great, great benefits to being accountable to others. And that is when we go through lows, they can help us during those lows. We don't have to fall alone. The Bible talks about this in Ecclesiastes in chapter 4 and verse 9. It says, two are better than one, for if one fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. 
And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. Notice this mutual help, this accountability. You don't have to fall alone. Ecclesiastes talks about that. There is actually a, a, a therapeutic power in belonging to something and being accountable to somebody else. There was a proverb, and I don't know if it came from the old country as it calls, as we call it, but the proverb says that shared joys are doubled. Shared joys are doubled. If you share your joy with somebody, it's doubled. If you share your sorrows or share your burdens, they're halved. Think of how true that is. Those of you who have received a diploma at some time in your life, don't you like sharing that with somebody else? Those of you who have gotten a a job someplace, that's good news. Or maybe a raise or a promotion. That's good news. Don't you like to share it with somebody? Don't you like to go out and eat with somebody and and share that blessing? It's like doubled when you do. But in the same way when there's bad news, when you come from the doctor and they they say it's cancer and, and you're carrying that burden alone, isn't it nice to be able to tell somebody else and have your sorrows there? When it's planning a funeral of a loved one, there's just something about being with others there and, and, and crying with them as you walk away from that cemetery. It does cut your sorrows in half. It's a very, very powerful, powerful thing. And the point is, we need each other. We need each other. You know, back in the early days of, of this particular land, especially the, the Red River Valley, they were giving land away. They had the Land Act. And, and, and as long as you came and you claimed and squatted on a certain section or a quarter of a section, you could get 160 acres or whatever it might be. They would give you a little piece of your land and people flocked from the, the east to be landowners. They came from crowded cities out here to the prairie and they built sod huts. And guess where they built them? They built them right smack dab in the center of their, their quarter section or, or whatever it might be. And I think the reason for that was the pride of ownership. Every window we can look out from here belongs to us. It's our land. Isn't that something? But something strange began to happen with all that isolationism. In fact, they sent these photographers from out east to photograph some of these settlers. You've seen some of the the pictures of them as I have, wide-eyed and looking, you know, and and weird and getting strange, and, and, and they realized something was happening. All this isolationism wasn't helping. And then something happened in time. They started taking their sod houses or their log cabins and moving them to the corner of their section. And this guy moved his cabin to the corner of his section. Pretty soon, instead of one house out in the middle of nowhere, you had four on a corner here in fellowship and friendship and and accountability and neighbors, and that changed it. You know, this is essential. God created this world to function together. You know, there are times when you need a banker. There are times when you need a physician. There are times when when you need a, uh, a carpenter. And there may be even times you need a lawyer, believe it or not. But I don't care if it's the mailman. I don't care who it is. We need each other. Now, notice in Romans 14 again, verse 7, as we turn back a page, says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth unto himself. The point is, we're all accountable. We're all accountable. We have students here up in the balcony and on the main floor. Maybe you're going to the Bible college. Maybe you're going to a, a university in town here. You're accountable to a professor. You're accountable to do the material, to show up in class. You're paying for the education, by the way. But you have to do the work. You have to get the grade grade because you're accountable to that, that prof. Maybe you're an employee here today. You have a superior. You're accountable to that person. 
My wife sits here in the crown today someplace. Over 27 years ago, I made myself accountable to her. She knows where I am all the time. She knows who I am with. She knows when I am going to be home. She has every right to. Because we took vows over 27 years ago, and we exchanged rings like this, and we made ourselves accountable to each other. We pledged and we promised our our fidelity to each other. And, you know, accountability really keeps us in check, doesn't it? it? It changes our behavior. I don't practice flirting. It's something very common in today's society. But we shouldn't be doing that. That is not an option if we're married because we are accountable to our spouse. That ought not to go on. That is a snare, by the way. You know, we have an adversary. He is wily. He is brilliant. And for millenniums, he has been tripping up even God's people because they fail to make themselves accountable. And and really, another set of eyes, another set of ears, and somebody to be accountable to, it can really help us get through such times if we heed the warnings of wise friends like that. The Bible says in Proverbs 13.20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. In other words, he who makes himself accountable to somebody else, that's wise. That is a good idea. So we see what I call, first of all, this fundamental application. But secondly, we see the familiar areas of accountability. And I've already alluded to it a little bit, but we're accountable, first of all, to society. Whether we like it or not, if you're a child of God, you have a testimony. Notice here in Romans chapter 14, if you just turn a page again, in Romans 14, verse 13 says, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, what's a stumbling block? Well, it's anything that trips up somebody else. We have a responsibility not to trip up other people. Now, what's that talking about? Well, we are accountable to society or to the brethren or whatever it might be, whoever it is, not to do stuff that's a bad testimony. You may have read as I did or heard as I did recently, an example of this might be the, uh, the Prince of Wales or whatever his, his name is over there in, in England, one of the, the two brothers there, who shamed the throne recently and shamed the queen because of some unthinkable behavior that took, uh, took place in, in Las Vegas that went uh, worldwide. And you say, what was he thinking? Well, he wasn't accountable. Now, he might say, I don't care what anybody says, and you might say that. You know how selfish that is? To say, I don't care what society thinks. I don't care what they say. I'm just going to do what I want to do. You know, we have little children in the Fargo Baptist Church. And I'm telling you, this is so cute. There's times I'll see a little group of kids like this, and I'll walk by them in the hallway out there, and all eyes will just follow me. And it's like, walla, walla, that's pastor, walla, walla. <laughs> and, and it, you know, I, it, it doesn't go to my head. But, but I do consider the fact they look up to me. And if I'm in the paper tomorrow for drunk driving or something, what's that going to do to them? I mean, that's going to be devastating to people like that. We need to consider that. By the way, if people drive drunk, they put others at risk. That's not being accountable. Think about that. Every time we get in a car, we're accountable to everyone we meet coming our way. I mean, whether we like it or not, we are accountable to society. And we need to understand that. In Romans 12, just turn back a few pages here. In Romans 12, the Bible says in verse 17, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Now notice this. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Live right in front of all men because we have a testimony. 
by the way, speaking of that, I read something this last week about Don Shula. Don Shula, Shula for many years was the coach and a, and a great coach of the Miami Dolphins, a classy man. One day he lost his temper on camera, and he, he, he let out some profanity, and it, it went over the air, over national TV. And he received letters from a number of people saying, we're so disappointed in you, and uh, we thought higher of you. And you know he wrote every single one of those people back and apologized and said, I'm sorry, you are right. I will do everything I can to win your trust back because I know your children look up to me. That's accountability. That's class, by the way. You and I are accountable to society whether we like it or not. There is societal accountability. Secondly, there's financial accountability. I think we can, <clears throat> we can understand this one. Look in Romans 13 right here. The first part of verse 8 says, Owe no man anything. Owe no man anything anything. We have a responsibility to pay our bills, don't we? We are accountable to our creditors. There was an old colonel back after the Civil War by the name of Sherrard. And and, and Colonel Sherrard was known for his integrity and his honesty and his paying his bills and being on time and all that. Well, something happened to where he ended up, I think, like $850,000 in debt, which was unbelievable for those days. And he was advised by his lawyers just to, you know, write it off, file bankruptcy. In fact, we can find a loophole for you somehow and get you off. And he said, I will not do that. He said, I'll work day and night until I go to my grave to do everything I can to pay this off. But I will not renege on a debt that I have. I am accountable to my creditors. That's integrity, isn't it? Boy, we could use some of that in the day and age in which we live. Look in Romans 12. And in verse number 11, it says, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Notice, nothing unspiritual about conducting our business in, in an accountable manner. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's very practical. That's very practical. Are we financially responsible? Is there anyone we owe anything to right now that we're accountable to pay. Something we need to consider. And on that note, what about the tithe? What about what we owe God? The Bible says in Malachi 3.8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? God answers back in tithes and offerings. We're accountable to God. You say, Well, I wouldn't rob man. I'm accountable to pay my bills. I'm accountable financially to my fellow human beings. But what about God in the tithes and the offerings? There's an accountability mentioned in the Bible there. So there's societal uh, accountability. There's financial accountability. Thirdly, there's, there's legal accountability. In other words, the laws of the land. We are accountable to obey those laws. We're accountable to, to drive 30 miles an hour if it's over in Minnesota or 25 down the streets of North Dakota or 55 down the highway as it might be. And I know that's something where you go, ah, nobody does it, but we're accountable to do it. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.13 to submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, for so is the will of God. So we of all people, Christian people, are, ought to be accountable legally to the laws of the land 
and to obey those laws. And then there's, there's spiritual accountability. Spiritual accountability. Now, we can accept societal accountability. We can accept financial accountability. We can accept legal accountability. We can say, yeah, I know I'm accountable in those areas. But the Bible also talks about us being accountable spiritually within a New Testament church, within a local church. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. This is talking about the spiritual leadership within a New Testament church. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. There's our word. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. So the Bible tells us we're to be responsible or accountable to those who are overseeing us spiritually because the day is coming when they, in turn, will have to give an account for how they led. You see how this accountability thing works? We find it on every front here. By the way, I've yet to see those who stiffen up when it comes to spiritual accountability prosper. Not one time. I've seen a number stiffen up over the years. I've yet to see one of them prosper. There's really something to this. Well, there's, there's another familiar area of accountability, and that's family accountability. Look in Ephesians 6, if you would. Going forward from where you're at, turn to the epistle, to the Ephesians, and the sixth chapter. There is an accountability in the home. First of all, the children to the parents. And I put it in that order. The children to the parents. Not the parents to the children. We live in a society that's getting that thing turned around, don't we? We live in a society with child-run homes. Who runs your home, Dad? You say, I do. Really? You know, it'd be an amazing thing, really, to know how many homes have Junior or Junioretta calling the shots, saying, you know, it's going to all revolve around me. This is what we're going to do as a family. It's amazing to me because I see it taking place. It's a child-run home. God help you if you have a child-run home. Because the children are supposed to be accountable to the parents. What a novel thought. Very elementary, isn't it? And yet not being practiced in the day and age and in the country in which we live. And when it's happening the wrong way, it's a great disservice to those children. Let's get that thing in the right order. Notice in Ephesians 6 and in verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Kids, get that straight. Mom and dad don't answer to you. You answer to mom and dad. Mom and dad don't obey you. You obey mom and dad. Got it straight? Real novel, real basic. Obey. That's all you have to do. Everything will go fine. And God said so. It's right here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You are accountable to your parents. Now, we've talked about husbands and wives already, but as long as we're so close, look in chapter 5 and in verse 21. It says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So there's a a mutual accountability there in the home, but obviously dad is deputized to be the leader of the home according to God because every organization needs one head, one leader. Now, we've seen this, this familiar areas of accountability, but thirdly, let's talk about the final authority when it comes to accountability. Who's the final authority? Well, our text said, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So God's the final authority. Now, how are we going to be accountable to God? How are we going to respond to God? We can either say no, when he says, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt, thou shalt not. We can say no, plain and simple. Or secondly, we can say, well, why? Have to have a reason. I'll do it if I agree with you, God. And, of course, that's almost as bad as no. Or we could respond, how? 
how. That's how we ought to respond. When God says, I want you to do this or do that, yes, Lord, how do you want me to do it? I will obey. And, and so those are the reactions to accountability. But secondly, let's talk about some roadblocks to accountability. Why don't people obey or why aren't people accountable? Well, first of all, they love themselves. They don't want to submit to anyone else. Or they love their sin. They want to hang on to their vice. They want to keep doing whatever they're doing. It might be pride. It might be pride. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm my own man. I'm going to do my own thing. That's pride. I'm above the law. You know, Nebuchadnezzar had such pride. And uh, he thought he was boss until God humbled him, turned him into a beast for seven years, until he realized he was accountable to God. And it was the best thing that could have happened to him. How about Pharaoh? Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. God said so. The Lord said so. Remember what Pharaoh said? Who is the Lord? He found out, didn't he? Glub, 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 as he's going down in the Red Sea. He's learning real quick who the Lord is as he loses his army, and they all perish. We are accountable, beloved. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. Don't be too proud to put yourself under somebody. Don't be too proud to submit. Don't be too proud to be accountable. Because only by pride cometh contention. Now look in Psalm 139, if you would. God is the final authority. In fact, Daniel Webster, who wrote Webster's Dictionary, said, my greatest thought, my greatest thought, we ought to perk up when we hear Daniel Webster say, my greatest thought is, he said, my continual accountability to God. That was the thing on his mind all the time, his continual accountability to God. The psalmist spelled it out for us here in Psalm 139. Notice in verse number 1, he's talking to God. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. In other words, God, you can read my mind from heaven. You understand my thoughts from afar off. I'm on earth here, but you know exactly what I'm thinking. Verse 3, Thou compassest my path, my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. He said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. In other words, it's above me. I cannot attain unto it. And then he says, whether shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I take my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the light shall be light about me. Notice he says, God, there's nowhere I can go to get away from you. There's no place where you don't see me. There's nothing I can say you don't hear. You know my thoughts. You know what I'm going to say. I'm accountable to you. Surrender. You're the final authority. I know, Lord, that it is you that I'm accountable to. So we see the reactions to that final authority and the roadblocks and the reasons. The reason that we should be accountable is because accountability develops Christ-likeness. When you and I make ourselves accountable to others or accountable to God, we are going to be more Christ-like. How was the Lord like? Well, notice in John 8, 29, this is what Christ said. And he that sent me is with me. 
The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. Was Jesus Christ here on this earth to do His own thing? Never. Never. He said, I do always those things that please Him. He said, I am accountable to the Heavenly Father. That's Christ's likeness. So if we want to really be like Christ, we will make ourselves accountable. And you know something? When we do, everybody benefits. Everybody benefits. There's a prison down in Brazil. It's, it's in, in Sao de Campos, Brazil. Imagine what a prison in Brazil is like, <laughs> a country like that. Some place you don't want to land. That's all I'll say. This was a very rough prison for many years until uh, some, some Christian organization went in there and witnessed to some inmates and led some of them to Christ. Some of them were in there for life. They won these people to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, Bible studies were started in that particular prison, and a lot of people, not all of them, but a lot of inmates came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They found they could cut back on their staff because the prisoners were keeping each other accountable and watching each other. And so it went down from a large staff to a smaller staff to a smaller staff to a smaller staff. Do you know that there are two staff people now running that whole prison? You say, how could that be? The prisoners run themselves. They guard themselves. They keep themselves in check. You know that in the average, the average prison in Brazil, when an inmate gets out, 75% of the time they end up back in prison, in the average prison. In this prison, it's not 75%, it's 4%. What has made the radical change there? Well, Christ, of course, in salvation. But this mutual accountability. The prison runs itself because they keep themselves accountable to each other. I'm saying accountability is a powerful, powerful thing. We see the fundamental application of accountability, the familiar areas of accountability, the final authority of accountability, and finally, a future appointment because we are accountable. Our text said, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. The day is coming when every single one of us is going to stand before God and give an account for our life. Now look in Matthew chapter 18, if you would. There's something about this thought that mankind just hates. And by the way, the reason for atheism is not a lack of proof. They, they might claim there's no proof there's a God. There's plenty of proof there's a God. It might be because somebody's bitter at God because of something that took place in their life and so they've written off God and they don't believe in God. But really the main reason there's atheism and agnosticism and infidelism is because man hates the thought of one day having to stand before God and give an answer for his life. That, that, that future appointment. Man wants to be his own God. This goes way back to the Tower of Babel. Uh, we we, we want to be our own God. We want to do our own thing. And so man abhors and detests the thought of being accountable to somebody higher than themselves. It's the rebellion of the human heart. I mean, we're breathing God's air and eating his food and drinking his water and living on his earth, but we don't want to be accountable to him. That's the human heart. The fact is we are accountable to him. Notice here in Matthew chapter 18, in verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. Notice the first part of verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon, God will take an account of all of us one day, and he will reckon with us. Look in Matthew chapter 12. We will give an account for our lives. Now, the unsaved, actually, and I've taught this before, 
Those who have never been saved and gotten their sins under the blood, it's all going to be brought back up. If you're saved, I want to clarify this, if you're saved, your sins have been pardoned. In fact, a Christ record has been placed on your record. Your sins are removed from God as far as the east is from the west. In fact, they're buried in the depths of the ocean. God says, your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. So they're in the past. They're under the blood. But for those who have never been saved, every thought, every word, every deed, every action... Everything is going to be replayed one day. In fact, notice here in Matthew 12 and in verse number 36, Jesus himself says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Notice that. Every idle word, you're going to give an account of it in the day of judgment. It's all being recorded like like the database of your computer. It's all in there. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 17, Jesus said, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. You're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day if you've never been born again. And in fact, not just God, but Jesus Christ Himself, if you're to narrow it down. Acts 17.31 says, Because He, God the Father, hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. God's not kidding here. He didn't raise Muhammad from the dead, and he didn't raise Buddha from the dead, and he didn't raise Confucius from the dead, and he didn't raise Mary from the dead. They're not going to judge you one day. But Jesus Christ was raised from the dead as evidence from God that you will stand before his son one day and give an account for your life. Bottom line. Now in Luke 21, 36, Jesus says, Watch you therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. There are two judgments given in the Bible. One is for Christian people. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we will be rewarded for our works or not receive rewards for works not done. But there's the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment is when the lost will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ as described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And they will be found uh, unforgiven, if you will, in their sins and condemned to hell for eternity if they've never been born again. You know, you may sit here today and you're trying to live a good life, but the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. And how did He save us? What's God talking about? Where's this mercy available? Well, it's available when you come to Christ. Admit you are a hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner, unable to save yourself, sick of your sin, not wanting to do it anymore. Have a heart of repentance, in other words, to turn from that sin and you place all your faith in that sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary's cross for you. You're born again the Bible way. Have you had a time in your life when you were saved the Bible way? Because from the moment you were conceived, my friend, you have an appointment, a future appointment to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you have ever gone through a cemetery like I have, you've seen a a date of birth and then you've seen a date of death and a dash in between them. That dash represents your life, however long it was. 
That dash says you're accountable for whatever took place in between this date and that date. That dash screams accountability. You are accountable to God for everything said, thought, done during that time. One day, you'll have that final appointment. Spurgeon called it the great audit. The great audit. You know, it's, it's amazing to me that people would uh, go through life and never realize they're going to answer for everything they've done. You never know when you've taken your last breath. You never, you never know when you've eaten your last meal. You never know when you've had your last night's rest, when you've dressed yourself for the last time. I've said many times, you might tie your shoes in the morning. An undertaker might untie them before that evening. We had a missions conference here this last April, and, and we had a number of missionaries in. And, and uh, there was one young man and his wife, uh, who were here, and I'll never forget, she sat right over there as he preached up here. And, and they actually came back a few weeks later because they were still in the area, and then they sat right there. This last week, as they were nearing the end of their deputation down in Kansas, between Kansas City and Topeka, they had a car accident. To make the, the story, the long story short, that wife was killed in that car accident. And uh, some of you right, might remember this family. They were just with us back in April. Brother Chris Bell. And they sat right there in our presence but a few months ago. And now that dear woman on the left is in God's presence as I speak today. None of us have a promise or assurance of seeing another day tomorrow. You never know when it's our last day on this earth. This young lady is in the presence of the Lord right now. We're all going to be in the presence of the Lord one day. We will stand before Him as our Savior either if we're saved or judge if you've never been born again the Bible way. We are accountable to Him. Accountable to Him. In closing again, our text said, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Are you living that way? I said at the outset, it's one thing to spell it. It's another to consider it as we walk through life, and another yet to practice it. There's something called accountability. God help us to understand it. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.